Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pabinimitriou. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and 27 minutes, and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, the KLM social media initiatives, the silence at Helsinki Airport, the ticket auctions from Iberia, the preloading of bags by Delta, the good deed of Southwest, the sale of Aer Lingus, the ANA rebrand, TSA repeated security failures and Airbus goes into Silicon Valley. And we would like to apologize to all of you. The second episode in a row, the sound isn't to our usual standards. This won't happen again. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast signal sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise cancelling headphones. Flight 16 to Vienna. Hi, Alex. Hi, Vienna. Austria, I love that little airport. Actually, it's not a little airport, I shouldn't say that at all. <laughs> it's not a little airport. I was there, actually, very recently, which is why I chose it. It has one thing that I'm going to say straight away, one of the best free Wi-Fi's I've ever seen in an airport. I mean, you I have fiber. You. I was in just in the middle of, in front of the gate, did a speed check, and I had 50 and bits down. And what? Up. 50? Yeah. Five zero. And I was And I was free. And it was no, not even in luggage. You know, you just... Accept, of course, the terms and conditions, and that's it. There's no logging, no email, no whatever, any words airport-wide, at least in all the sections I was in. Just perfect. Well, that's, that makes it the greatest airport in the world automatically. I've already have heard that Helsinki is even better. They have gigabit. So actually, you can just like... Uh, but I've, I haven't been to Helsinki Airport in like forever, so I won't be able to check. But yeah, a lot of airports learn about that. So that's why I'm going to tell a little story about Vienna later. Uh, we're again in front of each other after this week's episode. So again, we try not to look at each other and just look at our computer screens. <laughs> uh, first story, uh, you found a story about uh, pre-boarding, uh, pre-loading, sorry, carry-on bags. So tell me that because it's always a struggle with... Before you tell the story, are you one of the guys kind that goes very quickly into the plane? Yes, I always want to be first on so I can safe. get settled. And again, I... I it's never really been a problem. I found on European airlines, even in you know short haul, I, I've never had a problem finding a place for my overhead be, for my cabin bag because I often either put it under the seat in front of me, yeah, because um, I'm traveling light. Right. But on the, too, yeah. the two internal US flights I did last week, uh, they, the they were full flights and they ran out of space. But yes, I am always at first on, and I think that the people that are sitting in twenty nine row twenty nine stop and put their bag over like row six yes exactly that should be that. punishable by death <laughs> <laughs> you uh, that is the most anti-social thing you can do on an airplane maybe. actually i think uh, lufthansa when i threw them premiums for business class europe from time to time actually the, the crew is there and attentive to that they say no 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 you're not supposed to put it back here for and them. they push them back but it's true that me since i try to always sit in an emergency exit then means that I cannot put my carry-on on the seat in front of me. I also try like you to be always the first because I want to have my carry-on just above me yeah. and not in the other side of yeah. the aircraft. I always remember that I was doing a Valencia uh, Gatwick with EasyJet 
And I had been very first. I didn't have any speedy boarding, which is a fast boarding for EasyJet. So, but I was still one of the first. And we also have long legs, so I can actually walk very fast towards when it needs to be. And I remember that the flight attendant, understandably, because the flight was full, was trying to move my carry-on elsewhere. To, to, and, I, and I told her, no, 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 no. Look, I'm sorry, but you move anyone else back, not mine. I'm very freaky. But that, I mean, it comes with the... So you tell us the story about the U.S., because in the U.S. is much more acute as a problem. Yeah, I think I, I was amazed. And please, for Delta, that the flights that I took were, were so full. But I am amazed the amount of bags that, that they allow people to bring on as yeah. carry-on and the size as well. I was, I was really worried because I bought a new carry-on in, in the U S uh, and I was worried, even though it had the little label that said, you know, approved, I had a backpack. I was like, Oh no, they're going to get me. They're going to get me. People brought like, you know, their whole house. Okay. Well, the clue is, isn't it drives me crazy. And of course, you know, it's, it's the airlines, um, have made this problem for themselves because they are charging for, for checked bags and all that. But so we're losing the bags or losing bags. Yeah. Which is ironic because this is, this story is about Delta who are very, very good at that losing bags. So Delta are trying this preloading of carry on bags in a few of their airports. So how does that work? It's a good question. So they will offer to take your carry on bag before you get on and load it in one in the bin above your assigned seat for you. Oh, that's before anybody cool. gets on the airplane, and that basically the the hypothesis that Delta is is testing is our employees can load the bins faster than passengers can. So you at least they can do it at that time when the plane is still not filled with passengers, so there's no bottleneck. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. And they've already they're no, you don't have to pay. They're testing it uh, on twelve flights. Uh, pardon me, twenty four flights, and then they're going to ramp it up over June. They've been testing it out of Atlanta. Uh, New York, LA, Detroit, Minneapolis, Salt Lake City, and Seattle, which are also obviously Delta's busiest hubs. Uh, it will be, now this is interesting, it will be primarily on flights that are, de are, are, are destinations for vacationers, for holiday makers, oh. because they assume business people know how to do this. They get it done. So on the like, sure. you know, the New York DC shuttle, yeah, that's usually probably not, not an issue. Yeah. But like to Florida and to the Bahamas and places like that, where you're maybe dealing with less experienced travelers who might have more, uh, you know, flotsam and jetsam yes. around them than... than yeah, there's this tendency, I, I, I don't know, I mean, you've been a flyer for a long time, as I am, and I've seen this kind of increase in the size of all kinds of luggage. It's not only carry-ons, but also sometimes when I see people checking it, checking them at the counter, I'm like, what is it you're carrying? Like yeah. Bodies, or I mean, it's really impressive. And of course, I'm not talking about people taking long haul flights for three months. But some, you know, sometimes it, it really feels like people want the old entire dressing room. Yeah. It's, it's... Uh, anyway, so I think I think it's a good idea. I, I do too. I'd be interested to see how it works. Uh, yeah, um, I think it's, it's it's actually. I mean, I don't know about what you, what you feel, but something about me makes it about it makes me uneasy a little bit. I don't think I'd want to not have because it'll have my passport, my laptop. Basically, I, I'm bringing that that bag with me on the plane because I don't want to lose it, and having it out of my sight. I would say, I mean, I I don't know about you. I always usually the way I travel is I have a carry on with wheels. Uh, travel Pro is my favorite brand. So sorry for the they don't pay me to say that, and I always have that. But I have a little backpack, which is my I don't leave sight of that ever. Yeah. Meaning that because uh, for instance, when I flew to, uh, so I was in Montenegro, I flew through Vienna, I'll go to that story a bit later, but 
uh, the, the uh, had a dash eight, which means there's no not even uh, not enough room in the over overhead bins because it's a very small plane. So what they do is they tag your bag, and as soon as you board the plane, so you board it of course by feet uh, at the at the staircase, they will take your luggage that carry on yes. yours and put it in a small cargo uh, the door on, on on the left of you. So meaning that. The, I knew that even for the duration of the flight, that luggage will not be with me. And I want at least my laptop, my passport, stuff. So I always have a second small backpack on my on, on me. So that's why I'm not as, I would be okay to leave my carry-on. That's a good way of doing it. In fact, when I traveling with, on the um, the US lines that I did, I did exactly the same thing. I had yeah. a, car- a wheeled carry-on. And I, again, I was the same. Well, actually, no, it wasn't because I had my new computer in it. So I wasn't going <laughs> to let that out of my side either. <laughs> So you'll have to tell us a story. Yes, I will. When we get to a, a later story that's pertinent, I definitely will. But I think, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good idea. Honestly, it's, it adds to the anxiety of travel to know that most probably you'll have an issue with putting, yeah. like what, especially again, you and me, maybe because we're seasoned travel, travelers, sorry, I don't, I don't over carry stuff. So I'm like, I want at least my piece of luggage, which is reasonable, to be over me. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I don't want to suffer because half of the plane has over. You I, yeah, I don't think that that's a reasonable, an unreasonable request. I think there was an airport. I don't remember which one, but I'll try to remember for our forthcoming episode where this issue was solved at the airport by the X-ray. So the X-ray had, you know, the X-ray belt when you put your stuff had a, some kind of a form in plexiglass. So basically big bags couldn't fit in the x-ray belt. And if uh, a bag wouldn't get into the x-ray belt, it wouldn't get accepted clever, in the plate. I, I think, I think <clears> because <throat> most airlines are at least a staff, they're, they have, you know, they have already so much stuff to deal with. They don't start acting as the police and say, oh, you're not supposed to take yeah, that side, Especially on, et cetera, et cetera. on low cost, you've got a fast turnaround yeah. as it is. So uh, they off, maybe they offloaded that to the, to the, to the, to the airport say, look, that's the easiest way. One of the smart ways, and then we'll move on, but one of the smart ways I thought, I don't know if you've seen it, if you've flown EasyJet recently, they've introduced their own EasyJet carry-on, which you can which you can buy, uh-huh. and if they say it's, first of all, it's guaranteed you'll get it with it, because it's like it's EasyJet, so you, you buy it, but also it's, it's perfect size. Clever. It's exactly the size that they allow you to get it. So. It's maximizing the size and guaranteeing you'll get it in your it with you. So I think that's pretty clever. It is clever. Yeah. So very clever. Extra revenue. Extra <laughs> revenue. Uh, but talking about security, uh, of course, one of the I mean, we fly through security. We sorry, we pass through security a lot. The one that everybody complains about is more often than not the TSA, the one in the US. And there's been a flurry of articles about that recently that are kind of dire. This is alarming. This is frightening, actually. The the TSA uh, chief has been reassigned, quote unquote, whatever that means, <laughs> after the eight TSA agents at multiple airports across the U.S. failed some some breach tests. Not just some, ninety five percent of yeah. the tests wow. were failed. That is terrifying. So sixty seven out of seventy tests they failed, and that what that means is. Homeland Security agents posing as passengers were able to get weapons past TSA agents 95% of the time. I mean, that's... No, no, that's staggering. That is... I mean, we always knew, we had a discussion earlier, you and me offline, but 
we always knew that part of the role of any security at any airport is, of course, to gather any terrorist or mis mischief, but it is also theater. It's also to reassure passengers that they're doing the best mm. they can. And when you read 95%, you're like, is this really worth the money that they've been paid to? Because I think TSA is actually outsourced. Uh, it's, it's, it's a private company that's been given. Some of them, the, like for example, San Francisco is, is not TSA. Okay. Uh, or oh, at well. least it wasn't TSA. And they're actually pretty good. But yes, you're right. It's, it's been an ongoing joke, frankly. I mean, no one... And it's hard, it's hard because it's hard to have the data because, of course, the, the very obvious answer, and I get it, is that we haven't had anything worse, anything bad happened since 9-11 because of TSA. But if you don't know if it's actually TSA that has done... And I'm not blaming all of them there, but you can't really have a rational debate because you don't have the data to prove... Did they actually really stop attacks? Did they not? Yeah. Were they? I mean, who knows? I who mean, knows? But we're never going to know that. Like you say, we don't have the data. But it's it's alarming, and I think also it doesn't. It's just another massive black eye for the TSA, right. who have such a terrible reputation for being very just unpleasant across the board, universally. The experience is awful. It's it's uh, which is which is demeaning. The, honestly, that's that's a bad thing because I mean, there's security for those who have never traveled in another country. There's security in every single country, and there's security in the UK. There's, and most of most of the time, people are very courteous or at least nice. Sometimes some are more rough rougher than others. That's fine. But TSA really has few exceptions. Few airports are better than others, but TSA really is like they really it's demeaning. I think yeah. that's the right word. That's not very no. It's yeah. always long queues. Everybody is really curt um, and, and unpleasant. I mean, again, generalization. I had a very hilarious lady in Atlanta who was so, so nice. And, and again, in, in Florida, when I was trying to get my computer through, <laughs> they were all really, really nice. They were doing exactly the same steps in, steps the, in the security process. But I didn't notice because we were having a fun conversation while we were doing it. And I was like, oh, wait, look, I'm through security. Um, yeah, it can. It doesn't have to be terrible, and yet yeah. somehow they managed to make it so Maybe. awful. Almost, and also apparently compromise our safety. If if they're, I mean, they've been testing it for thirteen years, right? They always test yeah. it, and they're often able to get these things through security, but not every single time, or almost every single time, a gun and a bomb. Yeah, there was there was even journalists that tried to sneak like fake weapons to see yeah. if you would be caught. In course not they went yeah. through it so and there was the guy that discovered that if you had a weapon on your hip and the way that you stood in those new particle ray scanners that, yeah. that sort of sweep around you that it doesn't see it wow yeah well i don't i mean it's i, I think more there's more and more criticism i mean now the criticism for the public has always been there but i think at some point something will, will give and probably either the tsa would have its mandate Advised or something will happen. There's no way you can just go no, on like this. You cannot ignore it. Yeah, you can't ignore it, exactly. Uh, to a good story, a uh, bit feel good story of the week, because, you know, of course, when we talk about airlines, people think about the horror stories usually, because that's the one you usually read in the papers. But I, I found that story very nice. It's um, Southwest, again, so again, in the US. So there's their passenger. Uh, she was on board, I think she's a she, yeah, she was on board and or the plane was about to take off and the ground staff learned that her son had just fallen into a coma after an accident and the pilot decided to go back 
to go back to the gate to allow her to be offloaded to in, in order to uh to to see her son and southwest went even further because knowing where the son was they automatically book her a flight from that airport to her destination point in order to be as fast as possible meeting her son i think it's really that's great amazing customer service. it's even more than customer service great gesture i mean yeah that's that's why i'm one of the many reasons i'm such a fan of southwest just having the presence of mind to do something like that and knowing that this poor lady would be so upset just and feeling rather helpless if you're so far away from your child yeah i think amazing story yeah and and, it really i think you know no one complained i I know it's a low-cost airline so they have to fly fast they have to have the internet around time very fast but they went back to the gate everybody was, but I mean, I think it's a great story. It yeah. should, of course, uh, uh, apparently the good, the good part of it, that's what the article at least says, that the, the, the son is getting better oh, and he's recovering. But I love to hear these kind of stories because it's, it shows that airlines, especially locals, are not only robots, just fly from point A to point B, but actually are humans that care about situations like these, which might not happen all, every day, but are very dire to us. It's, it's great news. Yeah, and what a great story. Yeah, I, love, I, I, I absolutely adore the stories. You see, even the U.S., because the U.S. is a lot of people bashing, there are great stories like that. But no, moving to another continent, which was a story that did a little bit around, I think, again, can I send me the, the link uh, posted me on my Facebook wall a few <laughs> days ago? It, it's kind of, I mean, we talked about India already uh, a few episodes ago, another episode, but this one was kind of even kind of hammering the point of the problems they're having with pilots here. And the title, I'm just going to tell the title of the of the, the article, and that tells you a lot. You can get a pilot license in India after just 35 minutes in air. I mean, how do you meet that? I don't even understand how that's possible. 35 minutes in the air and you get a license to fly people around. It just doesn't make any sense. No. And, and they're cheating because the, the, the very beginning of the article, it says that the, the license that you get at 35 says that you've been flying for 360 hours. It's not enough. Not it's not that the law says 35 is enough. It's actually cheating because so there's corrupt. There's some some underhandedness going on here. I think it goes back to the point we had said. Remember about uh, not enough having not enough pilots. Yeah. So, but I mean, this is not clearly not is a it, way to resolve it. Is it a loophole or is it just straight fabrication? I mean. I, I mean, from what I, from what I'm reading here, again, we don't have probably all the facts. It seems to be something that is not unique. It seems to be something that is going on. Uh, I mean, we know that there's a huge problem about India. I mean, I, I don't think we have we had covered that story. I don't remember. Don't know if you remember. You must have read about it, Alex. When two pilots started fighting each other yeah. in a cockpit, it had to be removed from the plane. There's been stories. So I think. The quality of what happens in the flight deck in India has been concerning for all, quite a while already. But when you read this, you have more concerns. I mean, I don't think it's something totally new, honestly. No, sadly, so. we've we've definitely reported on a few um, issues with with kind of cockpit management, as it were, in India. But but for all intents and purposes, in this instance, you could you could have someone flying your airplane that has thirty five minutes of experience. But in the same article, it says that uh, it's something, there's a retired uh, pilot that says it's all over logging hours has always been something going on in the uh, airline industry in India. Because it's, again, the, 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 um, the civil aviation body says they will investigate, obviously. But I mean, if it's something that is the entire airline is doing, it's just over logging of like 
it is an official practice within Air India, say. I mean, how can you, you know, you have to, I don't know how they will be able to solve it. It has to be a change of culture. More than yeah, just but if you're, I mean, there's a big difference, I think, between adding 10, 10 hours per month yeah. in, and qualifying someone to fly passengers with minutes worth of experience. I mean, I don't know about you, but it makes me not want to step on an Indian registered airplane ever. Ever. Yeah. Which I mean, is a shame because they have a couple of good airlines. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I. I mean, we don't know how extensive this is. I don't know if maybe this is more towards uh, domestic pilots. You have a very big domestic market, obviously. Maybe you know, just out of uh, out of ranking within a company, a pilot that has them that has been around for a while is he or she will be the one given the the international routes. It's often the case, but yeah. we don't get directly. No, no, no. Started. So probably, if you. I would be more concerned flying domestic in India, which I've done, by the way. So I haven't crashed. I don't know if the pilot had only 35 hours log on his, <laughs> his license, but it's still concerning. Uh, not that, again, not that it's something new, and we know that they, we've been talking about Southeast Asia. They have a similar problems with uh, pilot trainings, and we know there's a lack of pilot, but something, again, here we'll have to give because it's not, it's not okay at all. No. And I'd be interested to see what happens with the story if they actually do anything. But to, to remedy that, no, I'm joking here, but still in India, uh, the uh, Air India, that is done specifically on, on, on an airport, the, uh, they will start having yoga classes for the pilots and the crew. Oh. Know, that, that doesn't replace a 35-hour flight, <laughs> but uh, they, apparently it's part now of a training module. It's not just offering like something as an extra, uh, as a, you know, something extra as a HR gift it's apparently part of the training module of training as a crew or pilot you'll have yoga lessons ah, well, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I don't do yoga myself so i'm uh, i'm not a good person to judge uh, apparently the um the country's prime minister is a very big fan of yoga which obviously is very big in india the way that we have just said that is very <laughs> pro but apparently that's the reason why they're going into that so I mean, I think it's fun. It's 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 a fun it's a fun thing. I don't know if it's actually will change anything for the pilots and the crew themselves. Maybe they'll be more relaxed. I don't know. But I mean, I just like I just found this story <laughs> kind of rather nice. Yeah, it's really nice. Uh, coming back to Europe, we had talked I think three episodes ago about uh, TAP, the Portuguese airline, the flag carrier, which like many others has a lot of issues. Many other flag carriers in Europe. He's either crippled with debts and having a lot of issues with pension plans, etc. Apparently, they're getting bids to be acquired, so basically get privatized. Uh, it's still, I don't think it has still been, you know, resolved. So these things take long. We've seen the story with our linguist that we'll talk in a bit. It's like month and month and month. But uh, do you think that this airline can be saved? I, I think that the... How do I put this? Like the necessary requirements for death of a flag carrier are a lot more complicated than a private company. Yeah. Because there's national pride at stake. So I think the government comes in a little bit more aggressively to to prop it up. But I think it has acquisition written all over it. I would be amazed if someone didn't come in. Apparently the the people out of the three bids are received, two of them are coming. So they're all coming from very rich investors. Yeah. And two of them are tycoons in Brazil. Yeah, well, David Nealman, who is the founder of JetBlue and Azul in in Brazil, uh, yeah, correct, is one of them. And I think 
like I said, the 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 struct the current structure of TAP and its and its or tap in its financial uh, fortitude or lack thereof makes it a really attractive acquisition. Yeah. Um, because it's a flag carrier. Yeah. Like I said, if it was if it was private, it would be very different in that competition. But David Nealman, guy is smart as hell. He's built this Azul up to the third largest airline in Latin America. And, and, and TAP has a very strong relationship with Brazil. Uh, I, mean, I mean, there's a lot of routes there, so I think you must know something. You must know that these routes are actually profitable, or at least can yeah. be profitable. I think they have the landing slots. Brazil is, in, you know, one of these very big economies that is emerging very fast. Uh, that's a, yeah, uh, Portugal could be a gateway to Europe. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. yeah. There's a lot of reasons, and I think if it's not hemorrhaging cash, then it might be worth looking at. TAP is an interesting one because if you look at Portuguese territories and former territories they have to have a pretty uh diverse fleet to right. get to right. the right. azores yeah, uh, right. yeah the right. the um western africa yeah. yeah um so a lot of a lot of, like angola is a former yeah. portuguese territory correct macau former yeah, portuguese absolutely. territory so the the portuguese empire was was spread far and wide uh, in in the good old days and i so i think you need a, you need a broad fleet which is expensive so they have I think around 80 airplanes, 80 airplanes. 25 week, 2,500 weekly flights. And a lot of those go to, like you say, to Brazil. So, and David Nealman, I think, you know, would be a really good, makes sense for him business-wise as business well. Wise. Yeah, exactly. Feeder uh, network into his Brazilian airline. So, but yeah. it'd be, it'd be, I mean, it'd be nice. I don't want to be, it's something that, I mean, I was, I think I was messaging you. So I was, when I flew from, it was not what, two weeks ago when I flew from, um, Prague to uh, Milan, uh, I took Czech Airlines. And I, I was waiting in, in, in you know, the airport in, in Prague for my flight. And I was like, okay, what is this airline? I haven't taken them in a while, three years. And the staggering thing is that you look at their finances and they've been basically emerging money for six, seven years. They're just losing money year after year, which is, I'm not saying that every airline in Europe, any flag carrier in Europe is doing so, but this is kind of tells you the state of it. The only reason they've been saved is because uh, a, a South Korean uh, body, which basically is the owner of Korean Air, has bought a stake of it. But that's exactly the same, same story. If no one else steps in, these airlines are doomed to disappear. Yes, yeah. no, doomed to disappear. That, that was a, <laughs> there, there's no way they can survive. This. No, you're right. I think you know, as you said, I, w- I was fascinated to to dig up with you. We almost did it in real time from right. other sides of the planet that. That CSA was owned by Hanjin, which is a mass, which also yeah. owns Korean Airlines. Uh, but that said, Malev, but Malev oh. Hungarian National Airline, no longer. Yeah. Cyprus Airways. Cyprus Airways. So it does happen. I mean, when a government doesn't have the money themselves to prop up an airline, then there's and only with, one with option. Anti, with anti-subsidy laws in Europe, there's also, they cannot anymore. Yeah. It used to be easier to subsidize an airline forever, and now they cannot do it. I mean, there's always, that's part of the controversy course us versus uh uh the me3 but also europe versus the me3 because you know, one of the biggest uh, gripes of middle eastern allies of any other foreign carrier say yeah well lufthansa for instance at is a pension plan refinance just hours before this law was put in place in <laughs> europe so there's a lot of stuff i mean it, it's a complicated story but i mean we can hope that some of the airlines will be said we're talking about one well, i mean airplane this i mean this story has been dragging on i think we've talked about it in the first ever episode uh, we're not sure it would ever come up, but apparently it seems that BA will eventually be able to buy, I mean, IAG, the mother yeah. company of BA, to buy Erlingus. Yeah, they had, they had, so IAG, 
have been pursuing Aer Lingus for years, and they finally had an offer accepted by the uh, Aer Lingus board, but there were two big hurdles in the way. One of them was Ryanair, Ryanair. who owns a substantial part Almost of- Almost 30%. Yeah, 29.8%, and the Irish government, which has 25%. Yeah, quarter, and yeah. w- I thought that the Irish government was going to be the ones that, that really torpedoed this deal because there was a lot of unions in play and there was a lot of moving parts. But they have said that they are going to sell their 25% stake to IAG. The board of, like, like I said, the board of Aer Lingus have also recommended the one that's like a billion pounds. pounds yeah. So the only people left to agree to this are Ryanair and Willie Walsh, who is the chairman or at least the CEO of IAG has come out and said that he does not expect them to cause too much of a problem. And then he expects Michael O'Leary to fall into line. Although he didn't say that. Exactly like that. <laughs> like that. Because I mean, I think the, the, the writing's on the wall. This deal will get done. Yeah, they're they're going to get the valuation or they're going to, or they're going to torpedo the deal. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. I agree. So that's great. I mean, it's an interesting, as long as they maintain Aer Lingus as a separate brand. And Erlingus is also one of the shareholders of Etihad, actually. Uh, <laughs> Very yeah, small stake. But, exactly. Uh, it adds up to like Etihad is putting his little hands in. Uh, actually, uh, same, same, similar story. So I said I was uh, I flew to Montenegro, and so there's no direct flights from the UK to Montenegro. There are some direct flights during the summer because very seasonal uh, destination for tourism. So another an alternative for me to have flown to uh, to Montenegro would have to take Air Serbia. And which actually Etihad, I think, bought almost 40%. I'm not sure. I'm very sure. Uh, so, another flag carrier, another flag carrier, I'm sure that, that was having also some financial difficulties. Maybe you can Google it while I'm, while I'm talking, Alex. But the point is that it's interesting how you know you associate Etihad with something very luxurious, it's even more luxurious than, 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 than Emirates. And Thus, you would kind of say, oh, so if Etihad is buying stakes in these airlines, it means that at some point this kind of luxurious experience, at least very good experience, will transfer. So I didn't fly Air Serbia, but a lot of the guys at the conference that was in Spark.me in Montenegro told me that was what the most biggest disaster they ever flown in. Mm-hmm. They never had as less legroom in their lives than in uh, Air Serbia. So it shows that. Well, maybe uh, companies like Etihad can be a white knight in terms of maybe not allowing the company not to fail. It still has a long way to go before they actually become something a good product. It's really interesting. They so Etihad owned forty nine percent of of Air Serbia, oh, yeah. which was originally called Jet, but they also have the management rights for five years, so they can run it. And it looks like they're really trying because they've ordered ten A three twenty NEOs. Okay, so maybe that will so, change. So they're yeah. going through yeah. a fleet modernization. Actually, they have an entirely Western fleet, so it's. A319s, A320s, 737-300s, so those are going to be pretty old. Yeah. And some ATR-72s, which I know you're a huge fan of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, Alex knows, I mean, I love any kind of plane. It's the proper plane, so the ATRs and also the Dash 8s are planes that take, what, forever to to be on, you know, cruising altitude, and the, the birds seem to be flying faster than you, that's what I always say. I mean, I don't hate these planes, but it's true that in terms of Let's say comfort. I prefer jet engines than propeller planes. But it makes sense economically to have propeller planes for somewhere else. I, mean, I, I thought you said proper planes. Like <laughs> an ATR is not a proper plane. <laughs> no. Well, I do not favor proper planes. 
this true now, but uh, actually I have a story, I can tell you now, actually. I was flying, so uh, Austrian, so to go to the conference in Montenegro, so through Vienna. So of course, London, Vienna is, we're lucky to be living in London, because more often than not, these routes are always kind of a very premium routes, the yes. kind of the flag routes. So that's where we're always lucky to get good planes usually out of Heathrow. But of course then, from Vienna, Podgorica, which is the capital of Montenegro, that was uh, a dash eight. So we are in uh, takeoff position at Vienna. We're all in our seats. Suddenly, these passengers are screaming behind me. I was almost at the front. These, these passengers start screaming, and well, you know, the flight attendant, you know, goes up, although she was already uh, already buckled up. And the guy, I think it was a he, because it was again behind me. The guy sh was. Fingering at the engine on the left that it was leaking. Yikes. Yikes. And so then she went to the pilot. I think she called him an intercom and asked the pilot that the engine was leaking. So the pilot stopped actually the takeoff procedure, obviously, shut the engines down, and then went on the PA and said, Oh, we have an hydraulics issue. I was kind of, at that point, I was, mm. so basically, if the passenger hadn't seen that leak, there was no gauge or anything that told you that we were having an hydraulics issue. I don't know. Maybe it could have been something very small. And yeah. Maybe, not. maybe it's... But they still it, changed but... your mind. We still went, we had to wait. So there was a legitimate issue. Yeah. We had to wait 20 minutes for us to have a tractor towing us back to parking position. We had to deplane, go back to the gate, and we were given a, a replacement uh, dash date. So it means that if they did that, it was not something small. They must have, maybe it was out of caution, yeah. but still, you know, they gave us another dash eight, so two hours, never mind. I was lucky to be in Vienna because obviously they had another plane just right there, the exact same plane, the same version, same crew, same pilots. We just go back to the exact same. It was very efficient. Yeah, I'll, I'll give that to, to Austria. I mean, we deep, we deep plane and 15 minutes later, we're already boarding that other plane. So That's that amazing. Was, that was great, honestly. That was really great. I'm very, very lucky because at the beginning I was like, oh no, you know, you and me have been traveling a lot in May, and yeah. you were kidding me at the very beginning of my travels. A few episodes ago, something will happen. Well, that's the thing that happened, and it was dealt with very, uh, very efficiently. I just said London, we're lucky. Actually, uh, very quickly, uh, I read that on Skift the other day that London will again be the most popular city for international visitors. I, I was actually reading that on the subway, that, you know, the Evening Standard. If you've ever been to, to the UK, to London, that's the kind of paper you see lying on the ground in the yeah. tube. <laughs> that going to put a lot of ink on your fingers. And apparently, it's, so London is the most, the number one destination in terms of tourists, and also the number one destination in terms of money spent by foreign visitors. I believe least. it. I mean, you can't, there's not a down period for tourism in London. Oh yeah, well, absolutely. Trafalgar Square is your indicator for that. It, I, and it's great, it's, I'm, I'm happy for London, I really am. And the reason I mentioned that is also, that's one of the reasons probably we keep having, we have, we're lucky to be here in terms of international transport, in terms of the premium rights. You know, often, uh, uh, yeah. I think I told you, when you fly from Dubai to uh, London with Emirates, it's EK1. It's the flag route. Yeah. So it really shows that London, except for that, we're lucky. I know for some of our listeners, we tend to talk sometimes a bit more about London because we both live here, but it's a, it's a great destination. You should come visit us. Yeah, come and hang we'll out. You on, we'll, on, do on a, we'll do a layovers live in London. <laughs> I would love to do that, actually. A layovers meetup. Yeah, we should. Uh, yeah, so in Montenegro, so after the story I told you of me you know, having that Vienna issue of aircraft, so I landed in Montenegro, I arrived at the magnificent venue of the Old Splendid, which actually is where 
Jim Casino Royale, sorry, was was filmed. So really? It was set in Montenegro. The whole casino scene that was his hotel. Wow. So yeah. So, huh. but so I arrive here and I tell this story to my guests, uh, my hosts, sorry, and they they tell me that oh, but have you seen that Easy Jet story? Have you seen that Easy Jet story? And I was like, what Easy Jet story are you talking about? And they showed me, and so I want your take. Maybe you tell the story and you explain what it is. Oh my God, this made me so angry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so a picture went around. Went viral. There's this is actually a legitimate use of the word viral. Uh, captured by a passenger on an EasyJet flight, showing a engineer putting duct tape on what they thought was duct tape on the engine. And of course, people freaked out, like, "Oh my God! They're putting a putting they're putting the plane together with duct tape <laughs> just before it takes off." <laughs> we're all gonna die blah 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 and it went viral and people were concerned concerned yeah concerned is an understatement they were just panicking just, yeah they were panicking and posting all this hyperbolic daily mail nonsense on on the social web about you know typical low-cost carriers blah 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 but you know and and our our learned friend john biggs i think made it his cause to go and say very calmly you know, every time you saw this picture, uh, this is called speed tape. It happens all the time. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's pressure sensitive aluminum tape, and it's used for um, minor repairs on on planes and actually on on high performance cars as well because it it's res water resistant, solvent, UV light, uh, heat and flame resistant. And um, actually, when for fighter aircraft, it's used to tape over bullet holes. Exactly. Uh, and so were there bullet holes, holes on the EasyJet flight? There were not bullet <laughs> holes on the EasyJet flight, but it's it's cosmetic. It's cosmetic, exactly. There's no more. So guys, it's absolutely normal. There's nothing to worry about if you do this. It's not that the plane is falling apart. It's nothing of the sort. Trust, trust us, the plane wouldn't fly if there was such an issue. It was really it was falling apart. Trust me, they would not yeah. take the risk of flying in there. They, they were putting it over to, on the nacelle of the airplane. Yes. They were putting it over the line of rivets that connects the beautiful orange engine to the front, um, the kind of leading edge of the nacelle. Yes. So that the um, water didn't get into the to the rivets. You know, just it prolongs the life. It makes you know for for ten p's uh, worth of worth of speed tape. Uh, it. It, it saves the life of it, but it's like, it's just nothing more than that. I mean, it's, uh, I think it's, you know, it's also due to, you know, the number of, uh, I think there will be one to two trillion images uh, uploaded to the web in a single year this year. Wow. It just shows that, you know, everything is documented. And I think that now that we have this, maybe the person who actually took, took the picture was not even thinking about the fact it could be dangerous, we're just taking a picture of something conducting. Yeah. But it goes that very quickly, these, go, these things go viral, people... We don't always know. I mean, we Alex and I know stuff about the airline industry and innovation, but we might not know about I don't know physics or uh, being doctors or something. So we see images, and you just have to kind of stop. Yeah, and wait that's and a good sure. point. That's a really good point. Because otherwise, we tend to overreact to everything. Right? And I think you know this is easy jet. This isn't some fly-by-night operation. They're one of the <laughs> most efficient airlines in the world. In the so, world, yeah. I agree. So they, and they've got a great safety record. So I think there's a little bit of you know a nice little overreaction. Brush yeah. Absolutely. Uh, talking about overreaction now, I don't know if it's overreaction. So this is a very tough topic too. So we mentioned uh, the last episode that you know Malaysian was uh, basically firing everyone, and we 
you're starting afresh a new company. And one of the reasons, obviously, was would be MH17, was it? Yeah, Malaysian Airlines Flight 17, which was downed over the skies in Ukraine. Uh, so we're still not sure about what happened, obviously, because we know there's a conflict in there. So there are parties involved. There's a lot of... But there was an article in Mashable, and I rarely actually read Mashable, <laughs> but they caught my eye when it said that apparently uh, uh, um, uh, there was some specialist analysis of the report of the crash that was um, created by the Russian authorities. And he says that basically most of the report is false, has been falsified because the images, the satellite images used were either doctored or not uh, correctly interpreted. So I don't have enough, we don't have enough uh, cloud to understand the entire repercussion of this, but if it's this report is truly falsified, it's a big, I mean, it's a big problem. Yeah, it's very worrying indeed. Because usually in terms of crashes, we always have at some point uh, a kind of a clear picture of what happened. I mean, just forget about conspiracy theories who will tell you stuff that never happened. But And it's true that poor Malaysian Airlines have two, basically, two aircraft where we basically don't exactly know what happened. One we probably will never, I mean, the more longer it gets, the longer we have no clue. Yeah. This one, I mean, it's a conflict zone. Now planes are avoiding it, obviously. I mean, we talked about it a few obviously a few episodes ago, but it's 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 pretty damning because it means that we're not well, the families might not even know ever when it really happened. Yeah. And that's not and it, when it's a when it's a state doing it as well, you 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 worry a little bit as well. I mean again, we know it's a conflict. We're not taking sides or anything, you know that in any conflict there's misinformation, there's propaganda, there's you know hiding stuff. I mean I guess it's the nature of a conflict. But it's true that when it hits civilian lives could be on the ground here since our podcast is about flying. It's a bit worrying that we might never get the full picture. I mean, again, Alex and I, if we never get the full picture, so what? I mean, we're just curious. We would be sad for the families and maybe also for for the, the airline and the, the, the aircraft maker not to know what actually happened. Yeah, so, absolutely. Because there's lessons to be learned in every single crash that happened. They're already very sad and damning by themselves. So there are always lessons to learn. It would be, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe one day something else will come up. I'm sure we haven't heard the last of that one. No, not at all, especially with this revelation. Yeah, it's uh, talking still not conflict, but a military, and very quickly, because I'm from Geneva, some of you who have listened to uh, to this show for a while know that I was born and raised in Geneva, although I don't live there for quite a while. I go there very often, and I couldn't see that, but so John Kerry, the U.S. Vice President, is very yeah, often the Secretary of State. So, sorry, 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 what did I say? Uh, was often uh, in Geneva because he's dealing with uh, Iran. They're making a, a peace deal with Iran. Uh, so the United Nations is a big, a big office in, in Geneva. So he's very often, he had a, an accident recently. He went biking, he loves biking. Actually, I saw, didn't know that. Yeah, I saw him. Uh, he does some also running, you know, and uh, like you, Alex, you, know, you run, so, but you don't have your security personnel. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. I've given them the day off. So he went biking and he actually fell uh, by himself. There was no foul play, foul play or anything. And he had to be brought back to the US. I mean, he was first at the hospital of Geneva and then that they brought back, but they brought a C-17, which for those who don't know, it's a very big uh, military plane on the ground in Geneva. And I just wish I could have seen that because it's not every day you see big fat military planes on a civilian Airport. And yeah. there sometimes happens in Geneva because there's a lot of stuff still. Yeah. There's very, I mean, some of the, some of the mixed use, um, when 
I went to when we went to Kiev. Correct. Was it last year? Um, yeah, two years almost now. Yeah, oh year and a half. Yeah. They you land at uh, a Kiev airport, and there's quite a few military airplanes. Phoenix Airport has got the Arizona National Guard, Guard or right. sevens or whatever they are. Case but I don't, I don't, I don't, I'll put the link to those pictures, and you see like the, that big C seventeen, and you see an easy jet. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of fun to actually imagine that. So of course, there's a debate if whether or not. It, it was sensible to send a C-17 for to bring a junk carrier back. I don't know about that. This is not a debate, but I would have loved to see that once in my life. Maybe they'll bring him back with that same plane. So I'll be in Geneva actually in a few days, so I'll learn about that. Uh, to the innovation part of the show, uh, so we talked about KLM when we talked about, of course, Amsterdam and Airport. I think it was episode 12, I'm not even sure now. Uh, and we always said that KLM is one of these most you know, forward-looking companies they go to use on social media. They've yeah. always been very good. Really impressive. Uh, they've, uh, they've developed a lot of, you know, planes with DJs, you know, apps where you can actually find a friend to sit next to when you're taking your next flight. Or they've always tried stuff, experimental, some of the classes, some of it didn't, but they've always been very good at it. And actually, there was an, art, there was an article recently that says that KLM social media managers generate $25 million in annual revenue. That's amazing. That's actually, uh, you know, for me, a social media manager is in the airline industry is or like customer, you know, care. And that's about it. I mean, Delta, for instance, we talked about it in the last episode. They do a good job of always being there and helping you. But they actually generate revenue, and that's pretty impressive. That's not a small amount. I mean, KLM, from the beginning, I've seen the value of it. As a channel, not just a uh, a reactionary support mechanism. They're actually one of the things. I don't know if you've ever, because maybe you haven't flown KLM for a long time, Alex. But one of the things that I really find smart. It's a little thing. If you go on their Twitter channel, they are the head the head of image. So that you know they are the the the, the how do you call that the, the the banner at the top, which any user on uh, can use, displays the expected time that you have to wait for them to answer to you. Wow. They change it all the time. They say, okay, uh, if you have a request to our social media through Twitter, uh, we'll get back to you probably within the next 15 minutes. Wow. And it's written on top. It's something very simple, but it gives you kind of an expectation. They're very good at it. Honestly, uh, they are very good at it. And now that Twitter has started implementing the fact that you don't have to follow each other to direct message, yes. it also means that probably even makes it easier because I always kind of have... I always hated having to follow an airline's customer support Twitter account just to get a reply. So it's That's, actually, uh, they wow. say they say in the article that KLM is faced with about seven uh, seventy thousand queries a week, day in day out. They have one hundred fifty social agents to deal with customers from all walks of life. They speak fourteen different languages. Only, uh, wow! Look at that. Yeah. We expect to reply within 10 minutes, and that's updated every five minutes. minutes. That's, yeah, so he's that's amazing. The, the, and that's something very simple, but very smart. And apparently, they, they really have dashboards and uh, in their office there was this war room. I don't know how you want to call it. They also, uh, I mean, we, we mentioned that they now have launched with, along with other Sky Teams members, they, they try to do some, something similar on WeChat. And apparently, they're also doing a trial on, on WhatsApp. Because I've got a lot of people who use WhatsApp, so there could be also a way to answer people. I mean, it's clever. I, I, I want to read more about this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very quickly, since we're at KLM, uh, have you seen that? I mean, we know it's a bit faked, but I think they had about the Orange Day 
that they've done. Yeah, they, they're really pushing that hard this time this year, aren't they? Because they did that fake livery, which I really think that they should do. Oh, yeah, the one which is like like orange, orange fading to blue. blue. It was yeah. stunning. And, of course, all of the flight sim uh, enthusiasts mocked it up and, and flew it around. But it looks really, really cool. So the uh, so this ad, I'll put the link, is basically they always do, obviously, it's a very big day in, in the Netherlands, Orange Day. So there was a lot of partying and celebration, etc. So obviously, Canon cannot not do anything that day. So they do have this thing where they... I think they, they found people, they say in Oslo, Cape Town, Shanghai, Rio, LA, and they, they basically kind of challenged them to be invited and then they threw them around yeah, the world. Yeah, like, they went up to them like in the street and said, this sounds crazy, but do you want to come and do this? Like do fly, this. fly yeah. to the Netherlands. And, and like they captured the, uh, the corner of Heineken and so people would order a beer and beer, they would exactly. go, hey, yes. do, you want to, do you want to come to, to Holland? Yeah, and, and then... I mean, I always when I say I say fake, I probably it's probably not fake. But I always have a because I'm too much of a skeptic. I'm like, is it actually real or is this all you know played by actors? I think it's real. I, I think, think it's I, real too. I, I hope it's real. I love. I want it to be real. Yeah, I love this kind of stuff. It's, they're not the only ones who've done that. I mean, there's many other brands. But in terms of airline, they, they want and every year they do something like that, and I think it's really fun. I think yeah, they've got this figured out, haven't they? I mean, they're not in terms of product. They're not the best airline in the world, but this stuff there world-class yeah it is actually yeah, i think it, they're always again I, in terms of product they're improving i mean i've never flown them i guess when i say domestically is in europe I've, I've flown them only transatlantic and it was always okay yeah. but apparently they have now have new seats both in economy and in in premium i don't think they have premium economy they have only world business class in corner or something which is the business class basically and like but they they're doing the effort they are flat carriers, so they don't have like the deep pockets of no. newer airlines, but I think they do a pretty good job. Actually. From what I understand, reading the, some of the airliners' trip reports, which I do regularly because I'm a nerd, their Asian services are particularly good. So Japan, in particular, and I think Thailand, a lot of the reports are glowing in all in all cabins. Yes, it's, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, I haven't flown them now for almost two years. It's time for, to, for me to. To fly them again, and SkyTeam used to be my alliance of choice, and I switched to Star Alliance. Sorry, guys, or and, or thank you for <laughs> to Star Alliance, but because it makes more sense from where I live. Although one world would want to make sense from the UK, but <laughs> uh, be yeah, I love you guys. You're too expensive. Uh, so yeah, I mean KLM does a great job. I think it's uh it's one of the reasons you know that you could actually decide to fly them. Not only get price is always one of the most important factors, but having knowing that it will take care of you in terms of customer support as we mentioned and also the fun things you can do on top of it, including that ad for Orange, Orange Day, is it's pretty cool. I mean it's cool they kind of makes it a cool brand to like. And it, I think it's the oldest airline yes. in existence. Right? Yes. So yeah for oldest airline doing that kind of stuff is pretty actually pretty cool. Talking about uh I mean do you upgrade yourself a lot, Alex? I I do, and I find this story totally fascinating and depressing. So first of all, you told me that story. You upgraded yourself recently, right? I did. So I, and I feel so torn about this because I'm I'm so loyal to Virgin Atlantic, even though we all you know they're not in an, an alliance. They never upgrade me. You know the product is getting pretty tired. But I needed to sleep on a flight, a long flight, eight and a half hours, and. I used my miles to upgrade from economy to upper class, which is their, their business class product. 
And, you know, it was a pain in the butt to do. And actually, it was pretty expensive because I had to switch my fare from a non-upgradable economy fare bucket to an M-Class, which is the lowest upgradable fare. The flight was empty. There were 86 people on the flight. Wow. So it's I empty, actually... Empty, empty. Uh, empty for... And it was an A330. I resented paying about 300 quid. Wow. And honestly, I... And it pains me to say this, I don't think it was worth 300 quid. I know people were paying 3,500 pounds for those for those seats, but I don't think it was worth the 300 quid I paid to upgrade. And they, I've been a gold card holder on Virgin for seven years and they've wow. never upgraded me once. Uh, to be honest, I think uh, when I was platinum with Sky Team, Air France, uh, KLM, and others, and I think they've never, which, so platinum is the highest, there's another above it, which is kind of things impossible to get, you know, for a life platinum or something. Yeah. I think if you renew platinum for 10 years in a row, you can platinum for life. And wow. Come well. But they never upgraded me either. There are not that many airlines upgrade you out of courtesy or having, this is why I started loving, and I know I bore some people with that, started loving Emirates at some point, is that only I built my mask kind of quickly, which is obvious because with Emirates, by definition, you're flying long haul, but also they were very nice about the whole upgrading thing. I never had to pay for an upgrade. They will say, it's made simple. You know that what you just mentioned, you had to upgrade your fare to be upgradable yes. first. I mean, this is most of the regular folks that never fly or don't understand the airline industry, don't care about the airline industry the way we do. They don't get it. I mean, a buying a, plate, a, buying a ticket, it should be how much miles or how much cash should I get rid of it. Very simple. Not like, oh yeah, but first you have to go to something fair called M and then you can, I mean, you can do that. And most people just don't want to access that, even though if they want to get it. And they wouldn't even know. I, I wrote a blog post on my personal site at haabc.com right. about how you do this on Virgin and they don't even, they took away the, the tool on Virgin, on Virgin Atlantic's website that, that allowed you to search for specific fare buckets, so which makes it even harder. But I had to go to the ticket desk at Heathrow and spend half an hour God. doing this. They had to offload me from the flight and then rebook okay. me. Oh, come on. Yeah. And it's, it's That's too complicated. It is too complicated. And I think, you know, it's, it's limitations of the reservation system and, and all of that. But it's it should be simple. it should be simple i have the miles i want to yeah. use them you know and it should be simple as well in terms of because part of it like you said the ticketing system is probably very legacy software there's the limitations there but again if i take the example of emirates because that's the ones i know i flew them i told that in the recent episodes i flew them back to back uh recently after have not having flown them for a while and before that i was a very frequent customer of them they must have some kind of algorithm where they said, okay, this guy hasn't flown them for a while, but he used to be a very good customer. So he's flying now back to back. So let's, let, let, let's show him some gratitude. I mean, it's little things. Yeah. You know, that's it's, very powerful. It, that's extremely powerful. I, I don't expect to be upgraded on every flight. Obviously not. But I mean, having there's little gestures. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, when you do your talks, for instance, how Virgin just thinks about, you know, bringing you champagne to yeah. your seat and stuff like that because you're a gold member. There, when you see, it's for me, it's especially frustrating when I get into a, a, an aircraft and I see it's empty and I don't do any effort for anything. Like, yeah. give me the front row because there's more legroom. Yeah. Give me an exit seat row because there's more legroom. And they have the data. Stuff. All the airlines have the data that identify you as having status or at least being a, a frequent yeah. customer. Or even, you know, even sometimes say, oh, listen, you just have to get and say, listen, 
uh, you, you have that many miles are playing to be no airplane is empty maybe the premium is empty okay instead of you know I don't know how many miles you have to say okay last minute if 10,000 miles 5,000 men get upgraded like yeah. okay let's we have the passengers we have about to go you know what I would even say and I think you agree with me because we changed on that off offline I would even agree sometimes I don't care about the food or the amenities of business class and on terms of Atlantic on a long haul give me a seat yeah give that's all anything. I don't need Obviously, food I don't need to have the champagne yeah. or the fancy food. But if if it's empty anyway, it won't change that much to give me that seat instead of yeah. give me and I'm aim along that's it these are the long and I'm not again, I'm not being here privileged to say please give it to me every single time. But no. I think there are flights where it makes sense. You just mentioned eighty four passengers. Come on. I know it's ridiculous. And what what spurred this uh this little venting session, which yeah, has been sorry. very therapeutic, is a uh, this is an article, article that has got the best and worst airlines for reward seat availability. And it's, it's, it's a ranking done by a company called Switchfly, who are a, a SaaS uh, provider of, of loyal, customer loyalty programs and infrastructure. So perfect for this type of thing. And they have this reward seat availability survey where they basically looked at the availability of reward seats per flight per airline and then ranked the airlines. And it makes for some interesting reading. So Air Berlin and Southwest, there were avail there were, were reward seats available on one hundred percent of their flights. Crazy. Staggering. Staggering. Yes. And then the rankings are not what I expected them to be. One so one and two Air Berlin Southwest tied. Then Virgin Australia, Air Canada, Singapore, JetBlue. Um, Virgin Atlantic, unsurprisingly, don't even feature in the top twenty. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I know that I, I don't know how this works. Maybe if you fly Delta a lot, can you either hit us up on Twitter or hello at layovers.to or on Facebook and answer me this? When whenever you're at the gate for a Delta flight, there's this. They all have plasma TVs or LCD screens hanging up there that show reward or upgrade priority, and there's lists of like thirty people for Correct. a seven thirty. Yes. What is that? Who are these people? Why do they? Why are they in line for an upgrade? How does that work? I don't like. Are these people automatically getting upgraded because their status? No, I I think it must be. I don't know either. But yeah, I would love to know that. From what I remember, because I was not on that list, but what I remember is that I've seen this list is displayed with our priority order, and if you see your name and if you decide to want it, you can go to the counter and get it. I don't think it's automatic, but mm -hmm. I'm not sure. It's interesting. I, yeah, I want to know how that works because Delta are are. Kind of 16, so 58% of, of flights are, are available. It depends how you calculate it. Are they available because they do that already? I don't know how it works. It's and British Airways, I have lots of miles in British Airways. And I can never use them to upgrade for a couple of reasons. One, because I can never seem to fly in the freaking seat. Yes. Uh, but also, British Airways, on Virgin Atlantic, I can go from economy to upper. No problem. On BA, you can only jump up one class. So I can't go from economy to club or economy to first. Oh, okay. I have to buy a premium economy ticket and then upgrade to club. Okay. It's yeah. idiotic. Yeah, it is. I think, again, I think it should be much easier to deal with. Yeah. I, I like the so Singapore is number four, was it, on that list with 90% of availability. The reality is that I don't know because I haven't flown them for a very long time, but it's they are very well known for not upgrading you. They want you to pay 
Yeah, and we should we should make the maybe differentiation. We can kind of do well, but I know that in business they are well known to be. You want to be in business, you pay for business. Yes, and I think you know it's important for us to differentiate between availability for paid or miles upgrades, upgrades. which is what yes. this is referring to, yes, and the propensity to upgrade out of the kindness absolutely. of their heart. Absolutely. absolutely, and I I want to know. I mean, it would all be anecdotal, I think, because there wouldn't be any data on this. The airlines that are most likely to upgrade status. Passengers, just because they're status passengers, because I am in the market for a new airline of choice. So, well, you know, we said we said in the previous episode that if Emirates actually opens a London to the US route, the more and more I will start to fly that. What I mean, kills me about Emirates is they don't have a not an alliance, and they don't have a European coach air partner. Yeah, actually, they have EasyJet. Do they? Yeah, I mean, they. I, I, I've never tried that. I know they have a partnership with EasyJet. I don't know if you can earn miles on EasyJet or you only can spend Skyward miles on EasyJet, but there's a way, which is also very surprising because you like, on one side you have this very big Middle Eastern airline and on the other side you have an orange, very fun, low-cost European airline. So it's, uh, I think they have, I don't know if it's still in effect. It was, I remember seeing the emails back then and said, okay, you can now we have a partnership for co-chairing in miles. I don't know how it works, but I'm interesting. It's yeah. interesting. Uh, related to that, I read a quick article about the um, the load factors because it was it, it shows that load factors is number of people in a plane and every flight. So basically, this is how airlines the more the more people, of course, they have the more people, the more uh, profitable they are because those can lose money. There's like you just said, eighty four people in a single plane. I'm not sure that's how profitable is that one. But, and, and it's in the article, and I put the link in the show notes, is interesting statistic that shows that the, the, the load factor has become better and better and better for most airlines. So we're reaching uh, numbers. They, they mentioned a number, I think, in the article that in the 60s and the 70s, we were like at 60-something percent, which means you know, 40% of planes was empty. And now we are more into the 80 to 85 oh, percent, which means that there's, it's not only... Uh, it's not only a, an impression that planes are full all the time. They actually are more and more full all the time. And you, you have the, the breakdown, you know, from Air Canada, which is now 83.4, uh, Lufthansa 80%, Air France Canada 84.7. So it's, it's actually pretty interesting. And, and one quote that I liked, I mean, I'm not going to quote it, but part of it is like they, they, they acknowledge what we just said with Alex here that the legacy software doesn't allow them to be as dynamic as they wish they would they could be because obviously uh, the article is about overbooking and overbooking is that is that they overbook people. We know that there there's a tendency to overbook, but it's because they want they have to kind of compensate for the lack of flexibility of their system. Yes. If they, if they had a better system in terms of ticketing and you know planning, because they're based not based on that legacy software, they'd be able to actually increase even more of these load factors whilst not having this like, oh, you're you're being you're this this seat has been booked twice. So it's that's the interesting bit. They will get there at some point, but it's a long process to upgrade all these uh, all those systems. Um, I read an article recently as well that tells that I, I think I, I don't have the link in front of me, but I think it was in the Runway Girl Network when they talk about their passenger experience and they said that we are almost at breaking point where the, the federal, they were, they were talking in the US, the federal uh, uh, um, authorities should intervene in the quality of the planes in terms of, uh, you know, um, 
leg room that's becoming almost like a Yeah, problem. wasn't there somebody saying that it's become a human rights issue? Yeah, that was in a few episodes ago. <laughs> I called that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, because there was a, this comedy, I think that's uh, in D.C., Washington, they were talking about that. But I mean, the uh, it's, it's interesting to see how the fact that we have the internet, obviously, uh, this is how we're even able to record this, put it as this, as you know, you know, TripAdvisor and all these other sites. So basically, you now, before going on a vacation or even a business trip, you go on booking.com, TripAdvisor, and you take a look. Say, okay, this is a good room, or this is not a good hotel for that reason. And you see a lot of user generated comments. Yeah. And the same thing is happening more and more for airlines. Yeah. I mean, you have Seat Guru and yeah. uh, places like that. that. That you learn more about your experience. I mean, of course, people like me and Alex are more at the forefront, but it doesn't mean we're better because we are a bit obsessed with that. Yeah. But these, these tools have become democratizing, and there there's an expectancy that they will be like the trip advisors for planes more and more people will say, I mean, we have skytracks and others, but that will have to influence as well how the airlines are reacting to passengers. Yeah. Because, you know, if an airline keeps being bashed, maybe Ryanair doesn't care. I'm not sure, actually, I'm kidding, because they actually start to care. But at some point, that will also change the dynamic. And this is an article in The Economist that says the same thing. It said that not only that, but that Probably at some point, the, the big ones, the Expedia, Expedia's and TripAdvisor will start including reviews from yeah. airline in their sites. That will change. It doesn't things. surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, there's that, oh, what is the name of that site? We've talked about them on the show before, which is like, it tells you the amenities that Google Flights have. That Google, uh, route Happy. That's it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's a big step towards exactly this, that what you're talking about, where you would have user reviews on, on actual flight numbers. Exactly, on, on actual legs and saying, okay, this route, because already Google tells you, oh, this route might have a 30 minute delay on average, stuff like that, but soon you'll have, oh, this 0 0.7 out of five stars because everybody's complaining. That's uh, maybe, I don't know, it's not, maybe it's gonna influence it in your lunch. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see that. I think airlines should be uh, afraid of it. Uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. We were afraid of it. Was, uh, there's another, an article bit, uh, from The Economist about that, and I put the, the link on the show notes. Uh, but, because Alex, also being an American, has kind of pushed me around sometimes, because I, I, you know, I, I used to be very critical about US airports. You've heard me in, uh, in previous episodes, but I kind of changed my stance. But we talked about Terminal 4 at JFK, that is much better. And this, this article at, at LAX, uh, at, at, on Skift, about LAX, it says that you know United is actually uh, spending how much was that? More than half a billion dollar to refresh basically everything uh, of its facilities at LAX. Well, I mean, we we bashed uh, or I bashed LAX pretty hard because you've never been there, right? No, I've never yeah. Been there. So I think it, it was back in episode twelve. We uh, I went to task on on LAX for just not being a very good airport. And it's not. So hearing this is rather encouraging. Yeah. And it's not the first. I mean, I don't remember which episode we said that American was also upgrading its Delta, was upgrading its its lounges and so American is investing a load in its physical product. Yeah, so there is some movement. Yeah. Right? There is we are having uh we're having some movements there. Uh was it you that found the uh, about UA we found the you know, the A three eighty uh rumor that like we talked about the yes. Sky, what was the company? United Airlines was going to look at some of the Skymark. The Japanese one that were never bought. Yeah. So again, that's investment. It's a lot of investment. You, uh, 
I whether or not it's true is a different matter. No, yeah. We'll but I, I mean, there is a sign that, I mean, we know that Amer the U.S., when I say American Airlines, I uh, try not to say that word. <laughs> I know, it's airlines, easy to the do. U.S. Airlines have a, have a, have a lot of cash. They've been very profitable. They were big in the past few years. So it's nice to see that they're making investments like this, which is making yeah. the best experience also aircraft. But this uh, LAX have more than half a billion dollars just by United is pretty impressive. Actually. Yeah, I mean, God knows that airport needs the investment in terms of passenger experience. So great news. Yeah, and it, I think JetBlue had done the Terminal Five at JFK. Right? That's right. Yeah. Also something that is good. I mean, so let's say about revising entirely my my, my position, but it's getting much better. And and again. Not all airports, like by the way, in Europe are, are fantastic. So it's not as if I'm, I'm saying that Europeans are better, but it's, <laughs> it's 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 getting much better, and I think I appreciate that, and people will appreciate it as well. Uh, yeah, very quickly, uh, we mentioned we try not to, to talk about a lot of the stuff that is outside of the passenger experience, but I found the video very fascinating. It's just um, GE as a video of a 3D printed jet engine, and I found that pretty fascinating. They they do such good work, GE, with their explanatory videos and infographics and all you know all types of ex just experimental stuff. It's it's just really really well done, well explained. And it, it could change as well. I mean, I, we encourage you because I think Alex is right. It's very well done for the, someone like me who doesn't truly understand everything about jet engines. Alex is much better than me for that. No, I don't know about that. I just think it's it's really. But it's uh, it's really um, it, because if you could change a lot of the industry, because if you could just if you have an issue in, on a plane, like again, I mentioned my flight to Vienna, I'm, I'm blocked. Imagine that would would have happened in Vienna where there was another plane just right there. But that would have happened in a, in a small airport where you have to wait. You could imagine you could print out a piece and just replace it on the spot instead of having back to a facility where they have to do maintenance. There are some changes that could happen on the long term, not seeing tomorrow to the industry. So that's actually uh, pretty interesting. I'll put the link obviously on the show. Talking about uh, switching continents, we keep switching continents. So we branding is obviously one of the things we both like. Uh, we, you can see that we talk a lot about these airlines also through the angle of branding because branding for us is really represent the entire kind of image for it's not only the logo because a lot of people don't understand branding and just think branding is a logo and colors and stuff branding is really this kind of concept of what is that airline for you and talking about that a, I think AMA is a pretty cool brand, but apparently there's a rumor they're going to change it. Or yeah, something. not even a rumor. They've I said that they're going to do. I think this is insane. I mean, I'm branding is my is my thing. I love it, and you know Paul's explanation of it is spot on there. But their CEO has come out and said that they're considering rebranding to raise the company's profile in international markets because it's obviously universally known in Japan, but they've struggled to develop DNA brand globally and it has become a priority because now 40 plus percent of their passengers are now non-Japanese um, and the, C the CEO said this if you search for ANA in the US if you google it it comes up with the American Nurses Association that's not brand awareness <laughs> that's just shitty SEO yeah, you can yeah. bleep that if you want <laughs> <laughs> um, but here's what bothers me you know they're saying oh no one knows what ANA means the product is product is excellent. They're a part of an alliance, but this wasn't a problem for SAS, TWA, 
KLM. It's not a question of brand. It's just pure it's on the ground marketing. The brand is pretty well. It's pretty. I mean, currently, I mean, you. We talked about the big push to bring with Star Wars, for instance. You know, this huge five-year program with A and Star Wars are working together because, indeed, A and A wants to heighten its profile in on international markets because, it's like you justly said, it's very well known in Japan. I used to fly them when I was living there, but. I find what they offer both as a product, again, that's what the concept of brand, but everything, it works really, really well. It does. And And for me, it evokes, you know, confidence, it evokes quality, there's a sense of minimalism, it's not like in your face. It's very Japanese, which is so, because if you don't know, ANA stands for All Nippon Airways, and Nippon is... Is it an ancient word for Japan or, or NH in Japan because it's like uh, that's uh, that's what the NH is. That's it confuse a lot of people because they look for on you know on the, the screens at the airport what you know what is ANA and they expect AN or NA and it's NH. Yeah, <laughs> but so yeah, it means sun origin. It's like an another word, an yeah. old kind of folk way of saying Japan. And people have said, oh, no one knows what Nippon means, so you couldn't just call all Nippon Airways, which is what it used to be called. Cathay Pacific doesn't Cathay is an ancient word for for what used to be China. Absolutely. I mean, Lufthansa. Yeah. It's not evident that Lufthansa, I mean, it's so so well known that people assume. Now, no, it's German, but there's no direct link there. I mean, of course, you know, it's, if you speak German, yeah, Luft, yeah, yeah, there's, I mean, I think it's a bit misguided. They want to change it to ANA Japan. The air, whole airline should not be called ANA Japan, which is redundant yeah, because no one is going to call it ANA Japan. What are they going to call it? ANA. Yeah, yeah. So they just need to. It's 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 a pure branding exercise, and I think rebranding it is is insane. The the brand the, the three letters ANA will be defined by what surrounds it. Correct. And so they have to work on what surrounds it, not it. Not it. But that's and I will charge them several hundred thousand pounds to figure this problem out for them. So. Yeah, we're ready to consult for you if you ever call us. Now, but honestly, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think it's sad because I think they really had a very powerful, very confident brand. Now it's not as if they have to. It's not Malaysian Airlines that has been suffering what they've gone through and have to kind of change no. the image. They have a very solid, like you said, they're just only thing they lack is a bit of international recognition you don't do that but just happened in japan at the end of your name no you have you have something that and honestly when you see star wars for better or worse with star wars is it's a good idea i mean they put them up with i mean it's something that you know people will start to associate oh this is a cool airline yeah. as well it flies to my country it, and i want to see that r2t2 aircraft these are little exercises like this make change the the, 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 the perception of a brand and not adding japan it's a very bad idea either. Uh, yeah. I, this so is guys, call us. I mean, we do that. We do consulting, and we'd be very happy to help you uh, figure that out. <laughs> I, think it's, uh, uh, I think it's actually a bit silly. Sorry. <laughs> uh, back to Europe. So Helsinki Airport. Uh, Helsinki Airport, like I said, I think in this episode, that's one thing, uh, this episode at the beginning, uh, that it is, one thing that is fantastic is gigabit Wi-Fi. So yeah. It's extremely it's fast. It's a good airport. I've been for a long time. You found that story that I really like. So they're going to be one of a handful of silent airports. So there will no longer be flight information and passenger announcements in anywhere in the airport starting uh, three days ago, actually. They just started, I think. Yeah. Yeah, beginning of June. So 
This is great. Um, Hong Kong, Kai Tech never had any announcements, and neither does CLK, the new airport in Hong Kong. So they're certainly not the first in the world, but they are the ha- a handful of... Uh, yeah, of, I think of the one, Copenhagen, I think, does the same. Where was Stockholm? I think it's Copenhagen. You know, they actually warn you, because now I think they moved less, but at the beginning it was startling. You know, there's absolutely not a single announcement, yeah. which I prefer. Yeah. Oh, are you kidding? It's great. It's really the red zone is on the <laughs> yeah I know God. I'm kidding <laughs> it's <laughs> airplane for those who haven't seen the movie you should watch it it puts a lot of uh, uh, responsibility back on the passenger which is where it should have been in the first place if you miss your flight if you're late for your flight your the plane's flight. going to leave yes. you know and it bothers it creates this kind of constant noise and the problem is that we shut it down at some point we have so many announcements yeah, not all the airports are, are are guilty of that but some our airports are guilty of Announcing every single thing every three seconds, you just don't listen to no, it you anymore. Just, you well, just filter it out. Yeah, filter it out with your noise cancelling headphones or something. But I think I think it's a it's a, it's a good idea actually. If there's a, there's not that many airports. I mean, the more if I compare to 10, 15 years ago, there's less and less announcements. Yeah. So thank goodness. Just, thank goodness. Like you said. Now, next step: reduce the number of announcements within a plane. Oh up. God! The credit card, so the blah blah, the thing, the CEO welcoming you, the etc. I'm like, come on, guys! Just, I don't need everybody to up. welcome me. Yeah. I, I mean, the safety video or the safety instructions. Yes, obviously, it's mandated and it's necessary. The rest, honestly, and I understand it's nice, and I guess it's privileged position to say that because if you don't fly very often, you don't care because, of course, it's nice to see. Like again, Emirates says that they have all these all these crew talking all these languages. It's nice. I get it. It's nice. Part of your brand for me is just like you know what, just shut yeah, up. exactly. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, but the worst again, the worst are the ones proposing like credit cards and else, and hope that one day this happens as well. Although very quickly, I don't know if you've seen Alex. This is a new startup. I think it's a Kickstarter. It's a small earbuds you put on your on your on your ears, obviously, and you can actively dynamically filter out specific type of sounds. Oh, so wow. it not only has noise cancelling, so cancelling the noise of the aircraft, but you can also cancel some type of noises. Of course my question would be can we cancel this type of announcements? <laughs> <laughs> we should ask them. Uh yes. Iberia. Uh, I haven't flown Iberia in quite a I don't think I've flown them. I've flown them yeah, I've flown them 20 years ago to Costa Rica, uh, I think I've flown them one or twice since, but I'm not sure that that, that, that often. Um, actually, we hear more about drilling than Iberia these days. Yes, we do. But just very quickly, uh, they've done something, which is last minute auction for their tickets, and it seems to be working extremely well. I, I, again, it's, we're not probably Alex and me are not the people who do auctions. We plan a little bit differently our flights, though we are, we have trackers on many different routes to know Alex wants to go to Tokyo, so he keeps tracking that on Adiosho, and we talked about the Sky Picker, the private service. There's many ways to track, but this, so you go to the website, and we have very, very cheap destinations. Um, um, the, the was mostly where a European. There's New York. You could actually start New York at 15 euros. It's an auction. Yeah, so you never know where you're gonna. Never gonna. I mean, you could stop, but you don't have to. But apparently, it's been. Extremely, extremely uh, successful. They Good. say they say that in the first twenty four hours, there was more than a hundred thousand users, wow. uh, three hundred thousand page views, and uh, and every ticket auction was sold in twenty four hours. Wow. So it means that's that successful. successful. Yeah. Miami starting bids fifty euros. 
New York, 70 euros. I mean, there was... Not bad at all. Not bad at all. You know, your rope started at 20 euros and added up at between 99 and 136. It's not as if, you know, it became extremely... It's still very... So it's nice. Yeah. And apparently, it works apparently with a young crowd. I don't like the term millennials, but apparently that's <laughs> it, it works well, too. Final story of the innovation, very quickly. Everybody talks about the Silicon Valley and everybody nowadays from every freaking corporation seems to be opening some kind of lab or some kind of venture or some kind of incubator or some kind of fund. Well, um, Airbus has done the same. I think it makes a lot of sense for Airbus to do this. I agree. Totally agree. It's an innovation center. Uh, uh, I think it does. I don't know exactly what it will do, what type of product it will, because you know, Airbus is a do a lot of things, you know. So, is there any? I, I mean, we will see. We'll probably learn about this. Any specific part of the whole, you know, uh, I wouldn't call it experience, but part of the product. Yeah, if they're going to skew heavily on like avionics or yeah. or you know drones or anything. Yeah, I don't know. Engine, three D printable engines. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would mostly be yeah, a engines. Well, yeah, they might if they find a good startup that does. But anyway, it's, it's, uh, so they create a venture capital arm and this innovation center in, in the Silicon Valley. I mean, there are plenty of them, but it's the first time I think that, uh, I don't know if Boeing has it. I haven't checked. I should have, actually. My bad for not having done so. Uh, so, yeah. So if you're ever in the Silicon Valley, I mean, I will clearly try to see what they do next time I go there when they're open. Because it would be really fascinating for people like Alex and myself. Yeah, I'd love to figure out what their plans are with this. Exactly. Uh, Vienna. Vienna. Have you ever flown to Vienna? Yes, they have one of my favorite airport hotels in the world. My favorite is the Regal Airport Hotel in Hong Kong. But I love the one in Vienna because it's literally across the road from the from the the, the terminal. Like you you walk out of the, the front door, you cross a two-lane road and you're at the airport. You're walking into the terminal. Yeah. And that Absolutely. is I mean, like you have an eight AM flight, you can wake up at, you know, seven fifteen, you know, <laughs> roll out of bed and onto an airplane. Right? But uh, yeah, no, it's a it's a good airport. Yeah, it's a good airport. There's so one terminal that has the, nothing. It's, it's a bit bizarre. So because the way the airport is laid out, they, they say they have three terminals, which they do they don't because when you look at the, the buildings themselves, it feels like they have two, but they actually cut one of them into saying there's one, there's two terminals. It's a bit complicated, but basically there's a, if you fly internationally, so if you fly outside of Schengen, which includes the UK or countries in Eastern Europe, but of course any other country, there was a lot of people flying from uh, Asia, for instance, when I was there. Uh, so you have your dedicated buildings, terminal three, at first, I thought, well, there's nothing in there. There are actually, there is now, there are, there are, there are a few shops. Again, it's not this massive airport. It's only, only 22, 25 million passengers a year. So it's a big airport, but it's not Munich, nor is obviously Heathrow or JFK or Hong Kong. So, but for its size, it's pretty well done. Yeah. And it's very, it's efficient. What I liked about, I say I say efficient in every single airport we talked about, but what I liked about it is that it's straightforward. It's Pretty easy. I mean, you're not going to get lost. None of these fancy airports looking at you, Charles de Gaulle. When you, have, <laughs> you, you know, they made it so design worthy that it doesn't make sense for a human to understand where to go, right? Uh, especially when we have a short layover. Uh, so I would say a short connection, sorry. And I would say this was a very good thing in, 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 in Vienna. It's very efficient to go from point A to point B. It's 
it's not entirely square. It's not like Munich, which is completely squared. It's yeah. a bit, but still, it works very well. Uh, there's the waiting areas in front of the gates. All the gates are one after the other. That's very clever because they have a lot of lots of seats, including vast. I really say vast seating areas that each one has USB power. Yeah, very nice. Uh, there's resting areas. So there's a proper resting. There are many sort of resting areas when you know the. You're supposed not to have your phone on, etc., etc. But you also, again, in front of the gates, you have some shapes of the seats that are mostly like uh, you know almost couches and you're that are made for sleeping. I think without having having been too fancy and going into something that looks like over the top and in your face, again, very you know, Germanic in a way. It's yeah. it's very well thought out. And there's one thing, as I said, the Wi-Fi. I mean, honestly, for people like. More and more airports are becoming destinations as well. When you will be staying because you have a long layover, because you want to get some work done before your flight, etc. I think having fiber broadband and free Wi-Fi without having to log in and put or you know sign up, it's really fantastic. It is. And I, I, another little tidbit for Vienna Airport, which endears it to people like me and probably you, is that on their website, when you're looking at the list of places to eat and drink, it says like the name, where it is, and if it has a view of the apron or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which yes. I love. Which like, I love. Yeah. It's like yeah, this is a a, a burger joint that also has a, a you know a, a view of the planes. Is it, the, the way the airport is done is pretty cool because okay, I was in Terminal Three, so I couldn't be vouching absolutely for Terminal the other two, but the way it's laid out is there's a lot of glass. Yeah. And all the glass actually looks, most, most of it you see the, the aircraft. So that's really cool yeah. in general because there are airports like Heathrow, Terminal 2, Terminal 5, there's a lot of glass, but the view is blocked and you don't see unless you're at, really at the Yeah, Terminal 3, there's nothing. Terminal 3, there's nothing. Absolutely. Yeah. So oh, it's actually very dark. Yeah, it's, a, it's I'm, not a lot of light getting to that. One, I'm so. only affectionate because I, uh, for Terminal 3 because I fly out there so much, but it's not a good terminal. But so, really, for that, and also it's a very. Uh, the nice thing also about Vienna Airport is when you land or take off, there are a few, there's two runways and of course there's a few pathways, but if you're lucky, uh, go sit on the right side of the aircraft and you basically see the entire Vienna oh, wow. uh, on port landing. So if you have a nice uh, weather uh, like I had, there was no clouds, it was sunny. I really saw the entire city. It's a very nice city, very cute city. If you ever have a chance to visit, you should. So it's a, Really cool view to see, actually. Yeah, it's nice. So, so, like, so I really appreciate that. I didn't have my camera because my camera is still in New York because I forgot it in the Uber card, and I hope it comes back to me one day. So I couldn't take a picture of it, but it's really, really nice. Uh, also, very convenient to go to the city. Uh, I've yes. done it a few times. There's a subway. So again, it's not a huge city, but it's convenient it's a to go city. But yeah, it is a beautiful city. Um, I, I know I'm missing something that I wanted to say. Oh yeah. So I don't know if it's true or not, so don't believe my voice. <laughs> this is going to be good. Yes, uh, I'm going to be cheating maybe. Uh, so when I was in, in, in Montenegro, uh, I waited for the back to Vienna with uh, Steli FD, who's a friend of mine who works in, in, in San Francisco, and he's another Greek, and uh, the founder of the Pirate Bay. Peter. And Peter told me something that I couldn't believe my eyes, my ears, sorry. He said, he said, Vienna Airport is the only airport in the world that has a strip club. <laughs> so I didn't have time to check that out. 
But guys, it really, it tell me that I would, plus uh, I'm not sure I really want to go to a strip club anyway and in the airport more so, but I would have been curious to see if there's really something like that. So if anyone knows if it's the truth or not, please hit us up. Uh, yeah. If anyone from Vienna knows or just can tell us, confirm or deny that this exists, I would like to know because it looks a bit out of worthy to have a strip club in an airport. Yeah, that, <laughs> I know that's, that. yeah, I'm interested to hear if that's true or not. Well, anything else you want to do about the airport? Ah, yeah, if it's a good for layovers, I'm going to say I'm not sure because I'm absolutely not certain is one of these airports where I'm not sure it's open during the night. No, so, but, but you but have a great hotel. A hotel so, so from that, sense. I did a layover there and uh, I thought it was great. Except and I would add something because that doesn't, it's not always the case in every single airport. The ground staff was constantly extremely nice, smiling and fun to interact with. Oh, that's and I like that a lot. So this is something that is very nice that not all airports do well. So they're the ground were young, smiling, and that's always really cool. So congratulations again on your hiring procedures. On that, Alex, I'll see you next week. See you next week. Happy flying. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.